walk into a stadium, 8,000 people, they all want you to lose. But as long as you got your 26 guys ready to kick ass, or kick butt, you're going to be all right. Sorry, I swear. What's going on, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of the Shock Factor Podcast. And boy, did we have some action since we last spoke. I am joined by Jake Mintz and Jordan Schusterman. Fellas, there's been action. What did you guys think? How are you feeling? I enjoyed the college baseball, Steve. Maybe one of the greatest, most memorable games in college baseball history, certainly of the last few years, LSU 2, Wake Forest 0, but that does not tell the entire story. Before you listen to the show, go watch the highlights. I want you to think of this as a podcast for a television program. You know those shows? <laughs> it's like, oh, Succession, episode 21, review. This is that. No. Before you hold on, hold on. If you are listening to this and have gotten this far into this podcast and you haven't seen the game yet or any of the highlights, please stop what you're doing and tweet at us or tweet at Steve and tell us how that went about to, to be the case. Because right. if yeah. you have downloaded this podcast and are listening, I assume you tuned into what was, as Jake mentioned, I mean, one of the most hyped college baseball games of our lifetimes. And somehow it was every bit as great as we could have possibly hoped it was drawn. Like it was, it was exactly what we ordered. It was, it was five stars on Amazon. Like this is exactly what came to my house when I bought it. And I'm so happy. Um, Except now, it we'll came with like an extra thing too. You know, like it was even more. Steve, they you accidentally were... sent two. Accidentally sent two. sending two. Steve, you were in attendance for Rhett Lauder versus Paul Skeens, the two best college pitchers in the world, with all due respect to Hurston Waldrop and Chase Dolander and all the things that they maybe could be one day. These two gentlemen are the top of the top right now, and they faced off in a battle for the ages. Steve, what was the atmosphere like around town today? It was like kind of calm. It was like scary calm. You ever like watch a movie like it's a horror movie and nothing bad's happened yet and you're about 20 minutes in. It's like, oh, uh oh, this sunny day is not going to be sunny anymore. But like just the entire town was like on edge waiting for this game to happen. And, you know, everybody was talking. They were like, oh, this is like this could be the pitcher's duel of the century. And about. By about the 10th, I was like, what if the game heard everyone saying that? I was like, you know what? We're going to give them the literal definition. Like when you wish from a genie and you accidentally get cursed. I thought this game was going to go till the 100th inning. I thought it was literally going to be the best pitcher's duel to ever happen in the world. And that's kind of what we got college baseball-wise. And they were both phenomenal in their own ways, right? Mm -hmm. Skeens and Ladder, Jordan, they both throw seven scoreless. Is that the right number? Uh, well, Skeens went, Skeens went eight and Skeens went, eight. went seven. Yeah. Ladder went seven. Eight for Skeens. It was the Skeensiest way, right? Like he was just overpowering people. The slider tonight was crazy. His changeup was money in the first outing tonight. I think it was a little bit more of the change piece. And obviously the heaters blowing people away. But like louder, to be clear, and this is what said a lot on the broadcast, 100 pitches around there is the ceiling. That was what they were doing with Louder all year. That was what they were doing with all their starters all year at Wake. He was not going to go over that. But because he was so efficient with his pitches, 
he was still able to work even in the ball game, with, which was just phenomenal to watch. Yeah, and he, he still only threw 88 pitches. Um, you know, Skeens throws 120. But with Louder particularly, and, and I, I want to kick it to Steve here because I believe you were behind home like for the whole game tonight, Steve. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, so I sat there with the intentions of sitting there for two to three innings and going up to the press box because I don't think those were – I don't know if I was in the right spot. <laughs> but no one came and moved me, and the security guard, when he looked at my badge, said, okay. So I think maybe I was. I don't know. No, but you were doing it right. For, you, for whatever for whatever reason, I could not move. Like, even when I was like, okay, it's time to go up and, like, edit a video real quick while we watch. No, no, that's not happening. I Like, I was sitting next to Mike Monaco. The vibes were high. Um, that was already a miracle in itself. Like, well, that's how, that's how you knew something was up. That's how you knew something was up, because Mike Monaco – friend of the show who broadcasts like all the day games, right? Mm-hmm. He's available he, and around because there's no day game. Yeah. And when, when he's around me, weird things happen in college baseball. It's just historically proven to be true. And he's the guy who interviewed me to get me to the point to where people are listening to a podcast that I get to do. And I'm not an insurance agent. So very cool to sit with him and to sit with him for this game. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. It was such a, it's such a thrill ride. But so, so Steve, the reason I bring that up is because for Louder, it was, it was that fastball was just moving wherever he wanted it to go. You know, he only had six strikeouts um, and two walks, but, you know, and the slider, the slider was good, but the changeup wasn't at, like the changeup is what he's known for. But it just seemed like the fastball had LSU just had no idea what to do with it. And it wasn't necessarily overpowering, but it, it just was missing barrel after barrel after barrel. It was so, so, so impressive. Now, to be fair, as I think you guys both mentioned at some point along, along the game in our group chat, it was like there were a lot of lineouts on both sides. Like there were some hard hit balls for sure from both teams. But it, as Steve said, it was just meant to be the pitcher's duel that we ordered. And it was, it was incredible. Um, so, okay, I think we need to skip to the Trey Morgan play. That seems yep. like a good time to skip to. Does that, does that seem fair, Jake? I mean, that's really the first, because we breeze through six innings in like 50 minutes. So I, just to say, I did not watch the first six innings of this game live. Mm-hmm. I was coaching a baseball practice and I was banking on neither guy giving up any runs and I nailed it. It worked. <laughs> it worked. So then let's then let's fast forward to the eighth. Um, so Justin Johnson walks uh, again. Skeens is still on the mound at this point. Um, they sack bunt Bennett Lee Johnson over to second, and then a wild pitch on a strikeout of what is his name Jack Winay, who was playing uh, in place of Nick Kurtz, who was scratched right before the game. And so it's a strikeout, but he reaches on the wild pitch there. And so now we have first and third and one out. First and third and one out. And at this point, we have – this is – all right, Jake, you were just coaching a baseball game. How did you feel about the call to go for the, I guess, push bunt to score score the runner? I guess that would have been Johnson to try to score him for the first run of the game. I love it. What are you going to do? Get a hit off Paul Skeens? <laughs> like, I know you just need a fly out off Paul Skeens, but he's probably going to strike you out. You know what I mean? In that spot? I don't have any issue yeah, with it in a 0-0 game. And there were a lot of replies on Twitter, people being like, oh, this is why you don't bunt. 
those people were not watching Paul Skeens tonight, right? Yeah, but Put also as as also like that play executed well, which by the way it was executed pretty well, is supposed to be indefensible, right? That's the and whole it was point. it was, and it was. Now, what's worth saying, and they said this in the broadcast because of how hard Skeens is throwing. The ball's mm-hmm. coming off the bat harder than it usually does. And so that pitch in that situation, you're not going to get so much bounce on it. And so what you watch when you watch the play, like Morgan gets a pretty perfect hop to transition the ball into his other hand and flip it. If that ball is higher or even lower, it's not a good it's he's probably safe because of the amount of time he's got to transition. Because it was one hard bounce and up and not a couple of rollers, that's why Morgan was able to make the play of the century. Steve, you were right there staring at it. You were probably 30 feet away from this play happening. <laughs> what was this What was this like uh, to see it with your own eyes? It all happened so fast because, you know, I see a hitter square around. I'm like, okay, hopefully he gets it down. Hopefully he executes the bunt. And next, I watch a lot of college baseball. I watch a lot of high school baseball. I know that squaring around is not getting a bunt down. That's That means you have about a 10% chance of this bunt actually getting put in play. Um, I think a bad bunt on this one, like a really bad bunt, would have really helped because it would have just gone bloop, right over Trey Morgan's head. I mean, I'm sure he would have like had jetpack feet and caught it somehow. It but, like double play, like, right? Yeah. Literally, the ball goes down. I'm like, okay, where's the ball? Because it comes in way too fast. I don't know where it is. Like, it, it's ridiculous. I can't see it coming in. And so I see it going first base side. Next thing I know, Trey Morgan is parallel to the ground, and the ball is being delivered to the plate where there is a perfectly executed dive by uh, Justin Justin Johnson, Johnson. and perfectly executed dive more perfectly executed tag by Milazzo and they collect the out and you know I could tell right away they went and reviewed it just the way Justin Johnson got up he did not he, he knew it he knew it too it was just an incredible all-around baseball play like totally. it's one of the ones where the weight coaches are like okay and the LSU coaches are obviously excited about it but also it's like all right we got an out underrated crazy part of this play is that Justin Johnson was coming with such force that he slides into the umpire and basically takes him out, which makes the umpire have to like get his balance before he calls him out, which is very unique because you can see Morgan when he you know first makes a toss and he's like you know on his stomach, he's waiting for it because the umpire is like trying to regain his balance. But to your point, Steve, it was a perfect baseball play in some ways all around. Here's another yep. remarkable aspect of this play. Watching the video that friend of the show, Peter Flaherty, tweeted from the press box, you get a different angle of it. The batter does not square until Skeens starts moving towards home. So you can watch that on the on the regular broadcast too, but like notice how late the hitter squares, right? And the reason for that is because Trey Morgan is holding on the runner at first base because there are runners on first and third and you can't just give that guy second base. So Morgan is playing back even with the runner holding him on the bag. And so Morgan doesn't get to break towards home until the batter squares. And that is when, you know, right when Skeens is about to, you know, put his foot down. And so it's not like Morgan is making this play from infield in. 
No. He is starting from first base. And here's the other crazy thing about this as I'm reminding it. Because of, you're right, Steve, that like the bounce was perfect to make the play, but also the way he catches it, it's not like he can do a normal underhand flip or even a regular throw. He basically has to shot put it while falling like and diving forward and and deliver a perfect toss. And that's exactly what he does. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, it's not complicated. It's one of the best plays I've ever seen a first baseman make. Perry Morgan has a couple of those on his highlight reel, um, but oftentimes, Maybe they're stretches and scoops, or maybe they are, you know, plays down the line or something like that. This was just absolutely unbelievable. Uh, go ahead, Jake. When the ball hits the dirt for its one bounce, Trey Morgan is still on the dirt side of the cutout Jeez. at first base. And again, <laughs> just a lot of ground. It's not like Justin Johnson didn't get a good break. Like he, Great break. He did his job, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's one of the most amazing plays I've ever seen by a first baseman. And so then, but that's only the second out, okay? Um, Tommy Hawk lines out, though, but it feels like, okay, here we go. Louder's out of the game. Go ahead, Jake. Tommy Hawk lines out. I thought that was it, too, off the bat. Like, he got all of it. He just hit it right at the left fielder. Oh, you thought Tommy that? Hawk. Tommy Hawk was nasty all night. Steve, I know you like Tommy Hawk. Dude, that guy's like my new favorite ball player. I don't care. Like that kid, I'm all in on Tommy Hawk. He was he was engaging with the fans in the outfield. They're all chirping him. He's just telling them how many outs there are. Like, you know, you know, as outfielders do, like, or when a second baseman, like there's a strikeout, they gotta turn around and tell the right fielder, like, hey, we got two outs, buddy, just in case you didn't see it back there. Well, he was doing that with, with the fans in center field that were all talking trash to him. It's just fun guy. Also, I'm pretty sure he was doing the very smart pivot with the beach balls. Mm. Um, he was throwing them over the center field fence, not back into the crowd so that they couldn't return to the field of play. That's just a smart guy. He goes to Wake Forest, no surprise. Anyway, <laughs> Tommy Hawk lines out. But again, after a play like that, that's classic baseball momentum. Oh, here we go. And when Josh Pearson walks to lead off the eighth, it's like, well, shit, you know, here we go. And Malazzo uh, bunts him over. So now we have the top of the order, top of the, the fearsome top of the order for the LSU Tigers with one out and the go-ahead run on second base. And Michael Massey comes in and strikes out Dylan Cruz with relative ease. And it was like, holy shit. They intentionally walked Tommy White. Then it feels like, oh, the guy that just made the greatest defensive play I've ever seen, he's going to get the game-winning hit too. But no. Trey Morgan flies out. And we go to the ninth inning, and this is where we really start. Well, I want to just say, yeah, their decision to walk Tommy White and pitch to Dylan Cruz, pitch to Morgan, pitch to Morgan, no, pitch to Cruz and pitch to Morgan. So they needed to. So right, you have you have that base open. You're Mm -hmm. basically calculating. We need to get either Cruz. Or white out. That's true. Yep. Good call. And they said, we are going to do that with Dylan Cruz and not Tommy White, which is not what a lot of people around the country would do. But Steve, if you remember the other night, we were having beers with one Mr. Corey Muscara, the pitching coach for Wake Forest. And what did he say to us, Steve? Who in this lineup did he talk about? I, I believe it was Dylan Cruz. And I believe he was talking about throwing inside. 
he, and how no one does it to him. Well, Muscara is basically saying that Wake Forest felt like they had a legitimate plan where they could attack Dylan Cruz. And that if they executed that plan, they could get him out. Muscara then said, for Tommy White, well, you just got to hope he doesn't beat you. Right? And <laughs> I think that's what we saw tonight. Right? They were like, we can get Cruz if we execute. White, there's no plan. Like, you just hope <laughs> you make good pitches and you hope he gets himself out because he is a freak in the box. And I will say, like, because Cruz was so good all season, um, I think Tommy's season got kind of lost. Remember how bad he looked early in the season. But once we got to April, it was unbelievable. And by the time he got to Omaha, I had underrated the degree to which he had improved overall. I mean, he cut down his strikeout rate 6 or 7% from last year. He was getting the ball in the air more. And he was pulling the ball more. We saw that certainly happen later on in this game. Spoiler alert. But he was amazing. And I know last year was like, how could he possibly do better? Well, even if the home run total wasn't quite there, uh, he was an even better hitter this season and has been a better hitter this season. And I think that showed tonight. And you could tell by how they respected him. But they get out of it. We go to the ninth. And this is where we just start. You know, Hurd comes in. One, two, three inning. Massey, one, two, three inning. We go to the 10th. Two more, one, two, three innings. I mean, heard, heard a little, little shaky, couple lineouts there with Corona um, and Johnson. Corona, by the way, that was that ball carried like crazy in the top of the tenth, but it dies in the warning track. Bottom of the tenth, Massey comes back out, uh, gets the bottom of the order again, and then we go to the eleventh, where Wake threatening a little, little bit. We get Tommy Hawk to second base on a steal. Love that. Uh, gets the first and second, but Brock Wilkin ultimately pops out, which brings us to the bottom of the 11th and the top of the LSU order. Now, at this point, Michael Massey has thrown probably like 30 pitches. He's or gone so. through like, the order once. Yeah, like he's thrown like 35 pitches and he's gone through the order once. For the most part, he's been a reliever. You know, he's gone multiple innings a couple times. So with Manassi and I mean, they have other guys down there. You know, clearly Manassi was going to be ready at some point, but they decided to have Massey face Cruz again after he struck him out the first time. And Cruz uh, was not going to be quieted for much longer. He ropes one into left field for what I have to imagine was one of the harder hit balls of the game. And now we have uh, no outs. Dylan Cruz on first and Tommy White. At this point, you can't really avoid him. So you're not going to put the winning run on uh, second base. So you bring in Kaminasi. Oh, boy, gentlemen. And you bring in Kaminasi, and they decide to throw an off-speed pitch for pitch one, a pitch that Tommy White admitted afterwards he was not looking for. (laughs) But because he is so gifted, as he said, he threw his hands at it. And he is one who does not care for the dimensions or the homer unfriendliness of the chuck box. And he absolutely ripped one, launched it into the Omaha night sky, sending LSU to the championship series. What a freaking end to a ball game. Steve, again, you were there. You were right behind home plate. Uh, what was your, I mean, you, you must have had literally the best possible view because I believe you were on the first base side. Um, that yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, the, the best view in the house is kind of what you would say about that seat for this one. But like the force with which he hit the baseball was Tommy, just like Tommy it was like up there shortening up his swing. Um, I, I know he does this really. I mean, his stance is like low key nuts, 
the, the degree to which his legs are spread and how low he gets into his crowd, especially with two strikes. But the swing, sorry to interrupt you, Steve, the no, force no. with which this, this man swings is absurd. Yeah, I got I got a great view of the ball leaving the yard, but I got a better view of the the soul leaving the ball's body because that kid, like there were demons in that ball, and now there are not. Like he he didn't miss a single stitch on it. He really just clobbered the ball, and you know it it was just a crazy ending to this game. And it did feel like we were headed towards that, right? It just seemed so inconceivable that either of these teams was actually going to string multiple hits together. It did feel like it was going to take one big swing. I mean, people are saying it was a hanging slider. Yes, technically, but it was pretty off the plate. But Tommy White just got so extended and was able to cover it and just just rip it. Like, it wasn't wasn't like a cement mixer in the middle of the zone. It, It wasn't. Um, it was almost no. off the plate, but he, it, he could cover it and he, 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 you know, smacked it. Yeah. And I mean, you don't recruit a kid named Tommy tanks to not have him do stuff like this, like that, like this was exactly why Tommy white was in the portal. He, he wanted to go and play third base. He got to make some sick defensive plays at third today and he wanted to hit every day. And that's what he's doing. You know, he's doing both and you know, I'm happy to see the kid thrive. Um, uh, Jake Mintz, your thoughts on the final uh, moments of this game, and then we'll talk about the aftermath. A quick death. We should all hope for one. And for <laughs> Kaminachi, he was given one. Mm. Oh, I do. One, one pitch, one swing, one breath. That's it. There was no tension to it. It was not hanging in the air. For as good of the game as the game was, right? The end of it was one punch, knockout, good night. And there's peace to that, I think. Steve? I was just going to say, I stayed for about 20, 30 minutes after the game to like interview some people and just talk. And <clears throat> I saw Cam come out and like sign literally everything for all these kids that were around the tunnel when like no one else did. So that, not no one else, like players stopped, obviously, but like, to see him still there and like still doing that for these kids was really cool. That made me really happy because yeah. when when I didn't pitch in Omaha or when I pitched in Omaha and it didn't go great, that was not um, my my first move. I, I think I went to the Come and Go and bought a bottle of whiskey. I think so. And then you signed for the kids. <laughs> yeah, and then I did. So <laughs> had to loosen up first before facing the tough critics. But no, it was just. It was really cool to see, and, you know, I I say it less now, but that's really what college baseball is all about. And also, um, great nugget that I didn't realize, but, I mean, obviously everyone saw on the broadcast that Cam was still on the field as Tommy's around the bases, and shortly after, you know, gave gave Tommy White a hug, which, you know, at the first glance, it's like, holy crap, like what an unbelievable show of sportsmanship from both sides. Cam Anasi, also from Tampa, uh, this came up in the press conference, and they've and Tommy White, they've apparently grown up playing against each other for a long time. Not that they're necessarily best friends, but there's clearly a relationship there. And so, you know, you can imagine Tommy White totally understands what Cam is all about. And, uh, and, and that's a great detail, uh, Steve, to share about him, because obviously he's been an incredible part of this Wake team and, and such a such a memorable character and, and an incredible pitcher who's going to go play pro ball because he's pretty freaking good. Um, but, but yeah, man, it was, uh, it was like, 
It was the perfect ending, and it was it, it, obviously once you get into a scoreless game and the extras in an elimination game, like you know, it's going to hurt to see the ending. But um, it was pretty freaking sweet. Like I, I was a hell of a way for a game to also kind of sustain forever. Like we will always remember how this game started and how this game finished. Uh, all right, gentlemen, we should uh, kind of flip this forward. Because now we have a, a championship series coming up. Here. Well, can we? Do you want to talk about anything? I else? think it's oh. related. The championship sure. series, right? We have Florida and we have LSU. Mm-hmm. The two SEC powerhouses. And before we preview that, I just want to talk about how I'm feeling right now. Mm-hmm. Because while I am happy for LSU and I'm happy for the players on LSU that we've come to know and like, like Travinsky and a. Beloso and whomever, there is a part of me that fears the future of our sport in the college ranks and thinks that what we have here in the World Series is a dark storm cloud that is coming. And that is because Florida and LSU are the two biggest movers, shakers, and spenders in the transfer portal. And their teams this year are reflections of that. Thatcher Hurd, who threw the three innings in relief. Paul Skeens, who was dominant all day. All year. Tommy, all year and all day. And Tommy White, who hit the walk-off home run, were all transfer portal acquisitions through, through NIL, right? For Florida, Waldrip, who's going to start one of these two games, and Ryapel are the two big obvious ones for them. Not as much as LSU, but Florida is going to continue to get into and, that. One. And literally today, we get the news that Colby Shelton, one of the best players in the SEC from Alabama, is transferring to Florida Correct. <laughs> next season. The SEC is the top of the sport. And the money that is flowing into the programs in the SEC is a good thing for the sport. What is not a good thing for the sport, in my opinion, is the dominance of that conference on the field. Now, why? I'm not trying to yuck a yum. I'm not trying to rain on a parade here. I'm not trying to be salty because I picked Wake Forest or something like that. You know, I have no real ties to either of these places. But I can't help but be worried about the future of a sport in which the best players are able to jump ship willy-nilly to the highest bidder. Now, I think that's good for the kids who should be compensated accordingly for the work that they're doing on the field. And that's why this is confusing and I feel conflicted about it. But there's something about it that just makes me feel bummed because I think college baseball should be for everyone across the country. You should be able to compete at the highest level, not just in the SEC. And that is why I, I just right now, tonight, in this moment, I am worried. And for me, and Steve, I listen, Steve knows as much about transferring as anybody. And so, like, you should be the person to I, I want to hear Steve's opinion. <laughs> well, and can I just say um, one more thing? I'm not yeah. saying that kids shouldn't transfer, or the portal shouldn't be set up, or the yeah. NAL shouldn't exist. Yeah, we're not I'm trying fine. to change anything. No, no, it's no. Just, I'm fine no. with the open market. I think guys should be compensated and leave and get to go wherever they want. There's just a part of this that feels weird to me yeah no it could be treacherous and i get what you're saying so the way i think about the transfer portal and the way i think about the state of college baseball right now is it's like hats because i'm a hat maker so think of it this way if there's a hat that everybody wants it's a five out of five stars it's got a very nice rope on it the button's perfect the design's cool and there's only 500 of them those are all going to the highest bidders, right? You know, that's where yeah. the money's going to go. 
But if there's, you know, a bunch of hats, say there's 4,000 hats that don't have a rope, they're missing a rope. That's all that's separating them. That's all that's different. I, a skilled hats craftsman, can take those 4,000 hats and add a rope and give it that value. So the way I'm speaking is, you know, there's the five out of five players. They'll go to the SEC, but there's only so many of them. And there's so many talented guys behind them that are the four and a halfs or the 4.75s. I don't know. I don't rank these guys. I, I freaking love them all. Um, so they're all five stars in the school of Steve. But what what's going to really separate as, you know, more and more goes on with the transfer portal is the guys who can add the ropes to the hats, the guys who can teach that extra development and take the guys who are, are fringe guys because, you know, usually these fringe guys, they'd be on SEC rosters, they'd be on Power 5 rosters. But now that there's the influx of players from the draft getting canceled, everybody getting a free year with COVID, we're, we're kind of reaping the the benefits of that as far as the sense of now there's more talented people. The talent pool is much higher because we took the 2022 class and that became the 2023 class as well. So like we added two classes together or whatever it may be. But I, I, I see where you're going to where like the top of the – the top of the talent pool will be going to the SEC because of the money. Like that, that fact is plain and simple. But the the way that that can be combated, and the only way that there's really hope to get rid of that dominance is for the other guys to really have that development in place to where they can take them to the get them to be that caliber of play. And and by the way, that's a good trend. Like obviously, there's probably something like, hey, what about Wake? It's true. Wake Sean Sullivan transfer and Bennett Lee's transfer and Michael Mass's transfer and you know like they duh right like it but to your point Steve right like it's really more about hopefully other programs and other conferences will invest and will also become an attractive destination for people to transfer if that is going to be how this sport is going to work now for me again not that I have a necessarily bias towards any way to do it and I don't mean to take this a shot at you Steve because I know you joined a team at UVA and obviously fit right in and were perfect there and exactly what they needed and X, Y, Z. But like, to me, like what's cool about college sports is that these kids go to school together and then they kind of grow together and they learn, they lose together and they win together and they get older together. And then it, it all comes together at some point. And there is still that right there. Like, I mean, again, look at, even at LSU, think about Beloso, think about Travinsky, think about some of these LSU guys who have been there, who have been there since the beginning and have always wanted to be there. Right. That's true. And that's great. And and you can have both things happen at once. But I do feel, yeah, I am generally more inclined to like stories like that in college sports than the all-star teams. That's kind of how I feel about it. And it's fine, again, to Jake's point. It's still good. It's good for the sport ultimately. And you are creating these incredible teams that do make it more compelling. But I think that's kind of where we're at with it. All that there, said. One yeah. second. There was a quote that Kendall Rogers tweeted from Jerry Johnson, which was, if you're one of the best players in the transfer portal, we're the place to play. Now, I'm sure he was asked about this in the postgame press conference, right? And it is just recruiting round two, just you're recruiting players in college. And I think maybe that is what feels the weirdest about it to me, is that in the big leagues, okay, in the, listen, in the big leagues, if, a play, if you're like trying to get a player to come play in your team, you wait till they're a free agent and you make the pitch and you sign them. The idea of it's not tampering, right? He, I'm not accusing tampering. It's the idea of things like this where it's like if you're committing to a program and you're 
putting your time and effort and like you're trying to create this ideology of brother brotherhood, whatever that really means. And then like you, what does that actually mean? Well, this the is the thing. Day? It's not about, it's the, the comp is not the big leagues. It's just comparing it to recruiting a 16 or 17 year old, right? Like that's, what's very different because that is not, it's not the same conversation because what Jay Johnson is saying is, Oh, are you an amazing college player already that I know is going to be good for me right now and is not someone that I'm putting faith in as a 16-year-old and trust in your talent that I've scouted and identified when you are a high schooler? And that's what recruiting, in theory, should be. It's just like, oh, you're already awesome? Come play on my team. <laughs> right, and I want, to be, I want to be clear. Like, Maybe I'm putting too much of this on LSU and Jay Johnson. Sure. Because well, like, just, Wake's done it too, and it's just right in front of me. Right, it's just like LSU and Florida is where the money is, and they're playing for the final. Yeah, maybe that's a good transition point, Steve. Uh, I know you're very tired, and I don't want to keep you much longer. Um, the final will begin on Saturday, game one on Saturday night. Friday will be an off day. Game two Sunday afternoon. Game three, if necessary, will be on Monday. Florida, of course, after beating TCU yesterday, shouts out Michael Robertson, incredible play, Michael Robertson. <laughs> you had one of the great defensive plays in Omaha history. For 24 hours. That's too bad. Uh, because Trey Morgan, I, by the way, how great is baseball, right? The two best plays in Omaha, one of them was three feet from home plate, and one of them was 408 feet from home plate. <laughs> so uh, very good stuff. Anyway, all that said, Florida is chilling. They will presumably go Brandon Sprote on Saturday, Preston Waldrop on Sunday, and I guess Jack Caglione or whoever. They could do however many pitchers they want. Uh, on Monday, whereas T, uh, LSU will be in a position to, I think all we really know for sure is Ty Floyd will start on Saturday. And then I guess Ackenhausen, considering how awesome he looked, I assume will go on Sunday and then game three, who freaking knows. But the point is, is Florida is set up quite well here, Steve. Uh, here's my question for you, Steve, since you were around the stadium. Did you see anybody from the University of Florida today? No. No. I what do you not... think they did today? I don't know. They went to the zoo the other day. That's um, your homework, Steve. I want much. you to find out for us. Yeah. What, what did Florida do today? I mean, I well, assume BT, they packed, but, but they also BT maybe not. Yeah. BT Ryapel probably went to work. He probably slacked some of his coworkers and sent some emails. Um, just because that guy's crazy. He's got like a full-time job and does baseball. I asked him about it and he was like, no, they just kind of think it's really cool. Um, I was like, dude, you're gonna. They know you're gonna have to leap soon. You know? You're gonna go the baseball thing is gonna happen. Gonna go. Like, yeah, yeah. And but hey, I'm sure. I'm sure he's still getting worked on. Um, can't can't speak on anyone else. I don't know what that's anyone fine. else is doing. That's fine. Uh, Steve, w w what's gonna happen in this championship series? Hedy Cahill, by the way, tweeted an incredible fact, which I I need to like. Not that I don't believe him, but I just kind of like we need to go back and review it which is basically that the last five times that one bracket has finished earlier than the other, the bracket that had to play the extra game, so in this case, Wake Forest LSU, that team that came out of that ended up winning the championship series. Mm -hmm. While you would think that Florida would have all the rest and have the pitching set up, and I think that's true. Like, I, at this point, I'm picking Florida. Um, LSU is, is on some kind of heater right now. Maybe the off day Friday slows them down a bit. Uh, and it's not like Florida's been blowing people out. They've won 3-1 one-run games. So I think this is going to be interesting, and I think certainly they have the pitching advantage, but I think they can hit Sprout. 
Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Steve, what's your general sense going into this, uh, this championship series? I just don't know. I feel like it's always beneficial to be the team that played more games just because like mm-hmm. the vibes are probably higher mm-hmm. because you had that taste of, Oh shit. Like our season could be over. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you face that reality and that demon and said, you know what? Not today. Not right now. You kick that demon in the nuts. You said, give me three more days. That that's a team that's dangerous, and I think can really come out with their heads their heads on fire, especially when it's LSU. I mean, yeah, you look at the talent they got; it's it's hard not to really really like them here. Yep, I think that's I think that's fair, and yeah, I mean, either way, it's gonna be it's gonna be one hell of a story. And also, this is just like I had forgotten this is a rematch. This is who Florida beat um, in seventeen, so in the championship series. So, is it a rematch if LSU's coach is different and all the players are different? Right. I know. No, d- d- definitely not. Uh, but <laughs> it will be branded as such. So I, that's kind of where I uh, where I stand on that one. Jake, uh, final thoughts on this champ series before we go to bed? For all of my skepticism conveyed earlier, these two teams are an appropriate end. Oh, yeah. What has been an incredible season <laughs> and an incredible college world series. Oh, yeah. I would have been happy with Wake Forest or LSU. I would not have been happy with TCU in a weird way, right? Like for me, the three best teams in the country are LSU, Florida, and Wake Forest, mm-hmm. right? Like I think we all agree on that. And no matter who wins this, the final, that's what this season will be remembered for, right? Wake Forest, LSU, and Florida. And so I'm happy that they were the last three teams that we get to think about. In the final, I'm going to say LSU. I just think, like, how do you bet against them now? You know? It it sure does feel that way. We didn't even mention just the whole show. Like, we didn't mention LSU's bullpen. Who was the Achilles? We haven't talked in a few days. I mean, the. Heard like, and Cooper and obviously Griffin, Griffin Herring. Well, Ackenhausen started, right? I mean, there's a Griffin Herring. Yeah, did. but he's in the bullpen. As far as I'm concerned, if you're not Thatcher Heard or Ty Floyd or Paul Skeens, you're LSU's bullpen. No, no but but Gr- Ackenhausen started over, over Heard, right? I mean, and I assume he is going to start that second game. So, um, we'll pitchers see. not named Paul Skeens for LSU have been incredible. And there's no reason to bet against that group at this point. So I'm going to take LSU in the full three. Although I hope it's the full two because I believe our friend Mike Monaco is calling only the Sunday game. And that mm. is game two. And so I would love for him to nail the ending again. I'm taking Florida in three. I think that's my pick. Steve, what okay. you got? What's your What's your pick here? Oh, come on, man. I like them all. I like them all. <laughs> um, you can't pick Wake this time. I'll, finally. I'll go. I'll go LSU just because Riley Cooper, you know, yeah. can't can't pick against him. All reliable. He's always there. He's got a great can-do attitude, mm-hmm. and I really like that in a kid. Totally fair. Uh, Steven Shock, you are a delight. Thank you for joining us from your Omaha hotel room. Steve is sticking it out. He's there in Omaha still. Jake and I are not, but we obviously had to hop on here. We will be back with our, I guess, season finale of the Shock Factor whenever – these finals conclude uh but until then steve uh take us send us home man let's let's go to bed yeah so it'll be our our season finale but hopefully not our series finale if you give us a review and say hey they didn't do horrible um that would be cool um but no i think i think 
it's been a fun year and I've had a blast. I can't wait to see what this championship series will bring because everybody knows this season, this Omaha, it's been different. It's been way different. The state of college baseball is freaking awesome. And I, I'm comfortable saying it. College baseball is freaking rad. He said it, folks. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Jake. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>